Next, Reach MD's special series, Focus on Diabetes. This month, we're taking an in-depth look at diabetes, the disease now affecting nearly 1 in 10 Americans. Tune in all this month for the latest research, treatments, and prevention methods to gain new insights for your practice. In this age of obesity, 7% of adults have diabetes, but the rate of admissions is four times greater than the general population. Welcome to a special segment focusing on diabetes on ReachMD.com. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Rita Sidelka from Case Western University in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Sidelka is a professor and vice chair, Department of Emergency Medicine at Case Western University School of Medicine. She is a co-author on the chapter on diabetes in Rosen's Emergency Medicine Concepts and Clinical Practice, 6th edition. Today we're discussing new medications and devices in managing your patient's diabetes. Welcome, Dr. Sidelka. Glad to be here. Thank you. So tell us a little, what is the prevalence of diabetes in the ED? The prevalence of diabetes in the emergency department is really quite high. I would say that about 1 in 10 of our patients is a diabetic. Is that changing? Is it going up? What we're seeing is an increase in the number of uh, type 2 diabetics that we see because of the obesity epidemic. So we're seeing a lot more kids with diabetes and a lot more adults who are new to diabetes. Can you comment a little on the economic impact of diabetes in the ED? It must be enormous. It is. The cost of use of tests and resources in the emergency department for the average diabetic is about three times that of patients without diabetes. And a lot of that is due to the fact that there are so many complications associated with poorly controlled diabetes and that a good number of our diabetics require admission. When they're admitted, diabetics wind up staying about five days in the hospital. And again, that requires an enormous use of resources. And that's probably if they don't have a lot of complications, correct? That's correct, yes. You know, there's so many oral medications used to treat diabetes, first, second, third generation. What are some key points that maybe physicians who work in the ED or urgent care centers or even guys in private practice who maybe aren't familiar with, what what kind of things do we need to keep in mind? That's an excellent question because sometimes even I have trouble keeping these things in mind. I think there's three key points to remember about the types of medications. One is that there's medications that make your pancreas make more insulin. The second is that there's medications that sensitize your body to insulin or control the amount of glucose production from your liver. And then there's a third class that slow the absorption of starches that you eat. And there's different complications that are associated with each of these. And so it's really important to understand what class of medication your patient has taken. For example, patients that are taking sulfonylureas will have a prolonged action of the hypoglycemic effects. And so when they come into the emergency department with hypoglycemia, we need to realize that simply feeding them and giving them glucose initially is not likely going to take care of the problem. We need to observe them because they may have recurrent hypoglycemia after the glucose is absorbed. So they'll have a prolonged effect and in the bottom line is they're going to have to be admitted and observed. Exactly. The second key, I think, is to understand about biguanides, and in particular, glucophage, or as it's known by its brand name, metformin. New recommendations for treatment of type 2 diabetes came out, and glucophage, or metformin, has been recommended as a first-line therapy. It's really incumbent upon emergency physicians and family practitioners and internists to understand that occasionally we can see lactic acidosis as a side effect of metformin. 
so that when patients come in with nonspecific symptoms, such as nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, anorexia, lethargy, tachypnea, they need to keep in the back of their mind that this may be a side effect of the metformin. Another really important issue is that we need to remember when we're ordering contrast studies on patients with metformin that we need to stop the metformin and hydrate the patients well. The patients then need to be advised that they have to discontinue their medications for about 48 hours and come back to have their renal function checked so that we can be sure that there hasn't been any renal damage. So what do you do in the ED when it's an urgent study? Insert an IV line and hydrate the patients. And then if the patient's going home, we recommend to them that they withhold their metformin for 48 to 72 hours and have their renal functions checked the next day. If it's a study that can be postponed, we'll hydrate them and wait for their renal function tests to come back, make sure that they're normal. But if it's emergent and it can't wait, we go ahead with the study and take care of the life-threatening issues. Aren't some oral anti-glycemic agents also being used for weight loss? Yes, they are. As a matter of fact, metformin is the one that, that people are using for weight loss. It's not a really good idea. I'd also like to talk about some of the other side effects or some of the other problems we see with some of the medications. The uh, glitazones are also a group of medications that physicians need to be aware of, in particular with the uh, pioglitazone. If a patient comes in who's on this medication and has signs and symptoms of nuanced congestive heart failure, the physician needs to stop and wonder if it's the medication that has induced that. So again, another great medication, but something to keep in mind as far as side effects go. So by understanding the type of drug, we can understand what's going on, how it works, and what to expect. Exactly. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment focusing on diabetes on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Rita Sidelka from Case Western University. We're discussing hot issues in diabetes, notably medications and how to use them. Would you like to comment on long-acting insulin? I mean, what happened to NPH? Uh, that's a really good question. Back when I was training, of course, NPH and regular were the insulins that we used, and that was pretty easy to keep track of. They were basics, and they sounded like their name, and it wasn't hard. Exactly. Exactly. And we've become very sophisticated since then. We now have not only long-acting insulin, but super long-acting insulin and super short-acting insulin. And there are a few key points, again, that we need to understand about these insulins. With some of the longer-acting insulins, we need to understand that there really isn't a peak. For example, with insulin glargine and insulin detamir, they may last over the course of 24 hours, so we won't see the peaks and valleys that we used to see. And those are used as basal insulins. And then most diabetics these days are advised to give themselves a rapid-acting insulin like Lispro or Aspart or Glulysine just before they eat so that it can take care of the hyperglycemia that they would have previously gotten associated with the meal, and they can time their meals better. They don't need to time their meals around their insulin. Rather, they can time their insulin around their personal schedule. So getting back to what you just said about the long-acting insulin, if it kicks in for 24 hours, you could theoretically see somebody who is hypoglycemic from a medication they took a day ago? That's right. The key to know about that is that most patients are now prescribed these, again, these ultra-long-acting insulins at 50% of their daily dosage. So half of their insulin is taken as a long-acting, non-peaking insulin, and the other half is taken in these little bursts before meals. So hopefully we see less hypoglycemia because, again, we're not seeing the big peaks and the valleys. We're just seeing a smooth level of insulin throughout the day. But 
if we do have hypoglycemia and somebody is on one of these long-acting insulins, we do need to consider, again, that it may be a while before they're able to go home without having glucose given to them. Because they'll be more resistant to treatment, treatment will wear off, insulin will kick in again, and they'll be in admission. Exactly. So insulin pumps have improved the quality of life and the tightness of control for many individuals, but what problems have you seen that we may not be aware of, and how do you as an emergency medicine provider address them? We've seen a few problems with the insulin pumps. One is catheter site infections. What we'll see is bacterial infections from basically the site just getting dirty. We've seen some abscesses, and these complications are pretty easy to treat. We treat them just like any other infection. The key here is to remove the catheter, to clean it. If there's an abscess, to treat it in the usual fashion with incision and drainage and antibiotics if necessary, and then to reinsert a fresh catheter in another site. So that's pretty straightforward. What many physicians don't realize is that the insulin pump uses a continuous sub-Q insulin infusion with very short or very rapid-acting insulin. On occasion, especially in teenagers, for example, who are very active or people who are very active, if the insulin pump becomes detached or malfunctional, there then is no insulin because it's rapid-acting and it's rapidly absorbed. The patient can then become hyperglycemic and ketotic very, very rapidly. And that's something we need to be aware of. So patients on insulin pumps who come in with a malfunction of their insulin pump can be very sick very quickly. I can see where that can happen. And they're young and they're active and it stops and their glucose just shoots up. What is an insulin pen and what's the advantages or disadvantages of that? Okay. Well, an insulin pen is a very cool device that is exactly as it sounds. It's a a pen injector. So it comes with a cartridge of insulin and each click of the cartridge gives out a specified dose, and each pen is a little different, so you need to be familiar with the pen that the patient is using. The advantage to the pen for the patient is several fold. One is they don't need to worry that they're not getting the exact dose because they're now dialing up their dose digitally, and it'll give the exact precise dose each time. The needles are tiny and less painful, and the pen can be carried around very, very simply, It'll, it can fit to a purse so that patients don't need to be dealing with syringes and separate needles and vials of insulin. So very nice. So this improves compliance probably in younger people as well, right? Yes, very much so. The only disadvantage of the pen is in patients who travel, if they have a malfunction of their pen, they may not be able to find one at a drugstore. And so they may need to switch over to a syringe and standard treatment, at least while they're traveling. Can you give us some real-life examples of how patients might have presented with some glucose management problems? We had an 18-year-old guy who was brought in by EMS because he was being rude at work. And this this was a fellow who worked at the local Burger King, was awarded the worker of the month at the Burger King, and suddenly had become very belligerent with the customers. They called EMS. EMS brought him in. In in the emergency department, he was so belligerent and so wild that we needed to restrain him to protect us and to protect him. And we started to treat him and evaluate him in our usual fashion. In any case, about 45 minutes after he came, his mother called and told us that he was a type 2 diabetic. And at that point, of course, our glucose came back and it was 19. So we gave him uh, two amps of D50W and immediately he woke up, became cooperative, and it was apparent why he was the worker of the month. He told us basically that 
it had been a very, very busy shift at the Burger King, and they needed his help. He wasn't able to take lunch, so he had forgotten to eat. What are your, your take-home points for um, maybe primary care doctors or family care doctors or, or even ED doctors listening to this about managing diabetics? The main points I'd like to make really are to emergency physicians. First, when you have a patient who's on insulin, it's very important to know what type of insulin they're taking so that you know how long the symptoms are going to last and what to expect. The next one is, of course, about patients who are on the insulin pump that they may get detached and those symptoms of hyperglycemia and diabetic ketoacidosis come very, very quickly and be prepared to treat them. It's important to understand the oral agents that your patients are on because understanding the oral agents will help you understand, again, the complications that you're being presented with. So, for example, as we said before, sulfonylureas have a prolonged duration of action. When you see patients with hypoglycemia who are on sulfonylureas, you can expect that the hypoglycemia will be prolonged and you need to observe those patients for a long time. Another really important point that I'd like to make is that patients who are taking the uh, alpha-glucosidase inhibitors, those work by slowing breakdown of sucrose into its two parts, into glucose and fructose. So when patients are taking those, and this is a medication that patients typically take with the first bite of a meal to slow down their absorption and decrease the high glucose levels, this alone won't cause hypoglycemia. So if for some reason this is all they're taking and they come in hypoglycemic, you need to look for another cause. The other really important point on this is because this medication slows the breakdown of sucrose, if you give sucrose, for example, juices or candies to these patients to treat their hypoglycemia, the absorption will be very, very slow because the medication is working. So it's really key to treat patients who are taking this medication, hypoglycemia, with glucose so that the glucose is readily absorbed and the symptoms go away. We want to thank Dr. Rita Sadelka, who's been our guest today, and we've been discussing issues in the management of diabetes. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to a special series focusing on diabetes on ReachMD.com, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Diabetes. For a program guide and complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.